the school blessing in, in August. We've got uh, our Honduras mission team is going to present a report on their trip. Uh, and so it kind of, I kind of wanted to get into a series, but kind of felt discombobulated with the calendar. Um, so what we're doing is a series of sermons uh, that's going to be called uh, Little Books, Big Message. And we're going to be looking at about five of the smallest books of the Bible and finding the great blessings that are in them that sometimes we don't spend the time to read them because they're just so, so little, so small little letters. Uh, so we're going to be looking at Philemon and John's epistles and Obadiah and, uh, and, and Jude and uh, getting into these books. And, and most of them will just take a week. First John will take a little bit longer. Um, on the weeks that, that we're doing a whole book in one week, we're going to, in our scripture reading, uh, read the entire letter on those days, like we did this morning. And there's something really powerful to me about doing that. Um, all of these books were written as letters from the author to the churches or the individuals who were named on them. And they were, when delivered, someone would have stand, stood in front of the entire congregation and read the letter aloud in its entirety. And the church would have sat there and heard it for the very first time. And so there's something uh, really beautiful to me that, that our church, 2,000 years later, can have the same experience that our earliest Christian brothers and sisters had 2,000 years ago of having a letter read in our presence and being able to absorb that and to consider it. Um, today we're doing uh, the letter of Philemon. It was written from Paul uh, to Philemon. Uh, it has got, in its original language, about 385 words, so pretty short. Uh, just over one word for every day of the year. So it's, it's, there's not a lot there. Uh, you can cover it very quickly, and you can look into it. But it, in the day that it was read, would have seemed a little bit longer because it was actually delivered along with another letter. Uh, Paul had written two letters that day, uh, one to the church in Colossae. It's called the book we currently have and call Colossians. Uh, and the book of Philemon were sent together. Both of them were delivered by Onesimus to the church that was there in Colossae. And so Onesimus would have shown up, and, and he was from Colossae, and so he was returning home, and they would have known him. Uh, but the thing about knowing someone is you don't only know their good parts of their history, you know the bad parts of their history. And Onesimus had some baggage in Colossae. And yet Paul sends him to be the one who reads his letter to the church. And as he's reading that letter to the church, he finishes the, the letter to Colossians. And, and we don't know if he then would reveal the letter to Philemon in private or in person or, or, or to the entire congregation. Um, it's kind of different people have different guesses as to how that played out. But the letter to Philemon includes a greeting not only to Philemon, but also to his household and family and some others in the church and to the entire congregation that met in Philemon's house. And so there's a greeting in the address for all of them. But Onesimus would have delivered both of those letters. But before we get into the letter of, of Philemon, we need to know a little bit about the relationship between the three men that are most involved in this letter. Paul, who wrote it, Onesimus, who delivers it, and Philemon, who is receiving it. Uh, at this point in his ministry, Paul is in prison, and he mentions that several times in the letter. 
during a past missionary journey, probably when Paul spent two years in Ephesus. Uh, it was one of his longest base camps as an evangelist. Uh, but Paul didn't just do mission work in Ephesus. He would send people out to the local communities around that region, and, and it became a missionary hub for him. And at some point during that mission work in Ephesus, it appears that Philemon would have come from Colossae and heard Paul preaching. And Paul later describes Philemon as uh, his son in the faith and claims that he is a father in the faith to Philemon. And this is a phrase that Paul uses when he's talking about someone who he preached the gospel to them and they became a follower of Jesus Christ. He, he then would say that he was their uh, father in the faith or they were their son in the faith uh, and their relationship with him. Paul uh, describes Philemon as a dear friend and co-worker. Um, that doesn't really quite get to what Paul is saying in, in the Greek to Philemon. Uh, the word there is tied to the word agape. And the word agape is a Greek word. There's, there's several Greek words for love. And the one that's agape is one that means a, a deep, deep bond, a sacrificial form of love, a, a deep love between the two of them. And, and so what I think about when I think of dear friend falls somewhat short of what Paul is really saying about Philemon here. He's saying that, that he has a deep, a sacrificial, uh, significant connection, a love for Philemon, his son in the faith. He just says uh, there that, uh, that they are extremely close, and that he also commends him on a number of occasions uh, for the church that meets in Philemon's home which means that not only was he someone who is hospitable, he's someone who has a wealthy enough background that he has a large household and a large home that the congregation is able to gather there and meet in his home and that that has become part of his regular life of faith, that Philemon was a leader in the church. And at this point that the book of Philemon begins, they have just had the experience of being the very first Christian community to have had the book of Colossians read in their presence. And if you've ever read the book of Colossians and found it to be an encouragement or a blessing or a challenge, they were hearing it for the very first time. Hearing those words of Paul given to him by God to encourage that church and to guide that church. And then as soon as that letter concludes we have the letter to Philemon, this leader in whose home the church had heard the letter read. And Onesimus, the deliverer of the letter, we learned from the letter that he meets Paul while Paul was in jail, um, that while Paul is in prison, that, that Onesimus comes to meet him there, and that he too becomes a son in the faith to Paul. And we don't know if Onesimus gets there because he did something to get himself in prison for a season. We don't know if he got there and, and through his past collections, connections in Colossae, heard that Paul was there and said, I want to go hear this guy that other people are talking about. We don't know how he came to be in Paul's presence. But one thing we do see is that Paul, as a prisoner, has a very active social calendar. Um, when you look at who is in the letter helping him write it and sending greetings, and the, when you look in the book of Acts, uh, when Paul is in, on various occasions imprisoned by kings and rulers, they bring him out all the time to have conversations with him. 
They bring him out all the time to explain what it is that he believes and why he believes it. And so prison for Paul, while not ideal, is not an isolation situation. Paul is able to do ministry and to connect with people and to take visitors and to send for others to come visit him while in prison and while in confinement. Yet Paul says of Onesimus that he became my son while I was in chains. And again, the NIV is a little bit uncomfortable with what Paul really says there. What Paul really says is that this is my son who I have begotten while in chains. This is my son that I birthed in prison, is Paul's real phrasing there. And there is this this really important idea that, that Onesimus becomes a son of Paul through his conversion while Paul is in jail. And Paul is being very dramatic in his use of these phrases. And when we kind of water them down to things that are more like we would say today, I think we lose a little bit of this strong wording that Paul uses. And he now says that Onesimus has become one that he agapes. One that he has this deep and strong connection with, this sacrificial love for. And he tells Philemon, Onesimus has been incredibly useful to me while I've been in prison. He has served me and he's been valuable to me. And in fact, if I could have kept him here with me, I selfishly would have. He's been that useful to me. But then Paul says, but I knew that that wasn't the right thing to do. I needed to send him back to you, Philemon, so you could work things out with him. You see, there's a relationship that has already existed for some time between Philemon and Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's servant and slave in his household. He had worked for him for some amount of time, and there is something has gone wrong in their past where Onesimus reached a point where he said, I don't want to be part of Philemon's household anymore. I'm going to run away. I'm going to escape. And in the Roman world, not unlike our world, when slaves run away, it's a big deal. Because if slaves are allowed to run away and just get away with it, then there's no reason that other slaves will stay in captivity. And so systems that use slavery always have serious consequences for those who run away from their masters. And it appears from the conversation about what is owed to Philemon later that Onesimus may have even stolen from Philemon on his way out the door. Uh Uh-oh is right. That's bad news. It changes the consequences. It changes the range of punishments that are available to Philemon. And so for Philemon, if he ever catches Onesimus, he has the legal right, and not only right, I would even say obligation. It is expected by the community that if Philemon catches Onesimus at some point in the future, that he can either have him beaten severely, He can have him imprisoned for as long as he wants. And he can even, it is within Philemon's legal right to execute Onesimus on the spot. And no one would have any questions about it. Everyone would look at that and say, well, of course that's what happened. That's what happens when you steal from your master and run away in Rome. You don't do that. So now we have this problem in the church. Because you see, Paul has... Philemon, 
who he agapes, and who he has birthed into the faith. It is his son. And then he has Onesimus, who later in life, he has birthed into captivity uh, uh, this son in the faith who he agapes. And yet, Philemon has the opportunity, if he wants to, to go post all around Colossae posters that say, Wanted, dead or alive, runaway slave Onesimus. And Paul knows all of this. And Paul says, I've got a solution to this problem. And you can imagine the time that Paul calls Onesimus in and said, I, I, you've meant so much to me as a servant to me here, and I appreciate everything that you've done for me, and I love how you've grown in the faith, but it's time for you to take the next step in your growth as my son in the faith. And Onesimus, you can imagine saying, you name it, Paul, I'll do whatever it is. And Paul says, it's time for you to go back to Philemon. And you have to think that Onesimus, who's already run away from there once and has a potential death sentence on his head in Colossae, would have said, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's what God wants for me to do next. I, I don't think that that's such a good idea, Paul. I, we didn't get along last time, and then I ran away. I think it's going to be bad. He might kill me. And Paul says, well, don't worry about it. I'll send you a letter asking him to not do that. And don't you think if you're Onesimus, your thought is, man, that better be a really long and persuasive letter. And then Paul's like, it's 385 words. Don't worry about it. I cover it all. He'll forgive you no problem. I can't imagine. And if you read the book of Colossians, which Onesimus would have read to the church there, it has instructions for a household about how a master should treat his servant and how a servant should serve his masters of serving the Lord. And can you imagine the weight of a runaway slave reading that to the church who knows that he's a runaway slave, and then moving from there into this letter to Philemon, which is going to, to talk about changing his relationship with Onesimus, uh, forgiveness, about all of these things changing. The weight of these letters is incredible. It's incredible. And we read them today, and we forget how angry Philemon would have been when he saw Onesimus walk into the church that meets where? In his house. When Onesimus walks back in and says, I've got a letter to you, Philemon, from Paul and for the whole church, I can't even imagine what Philemon would have been thinking. How dare you come back into my house that you ran away from and think that you get to read a letter? Do you get to tell me how to, to walk my life of faith? So Onesimus reads the letters. And the letter to Philemon reads like this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you. From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your agape love has given me great joy and encouragement. Because of you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. 
There's another phrase in here that loses some of its weight in English. Uh, it's where, in, in verse 6, he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith. And different translations translate this differently because there's, there's a challenging kind of idea in the Greek here where it's not talking really about a, a partnership, although he does refer to him as a co-worker. Sometimes it's translated as a sharing of the faith, which gives the idea of actually telling the gospel and sharing the good news. But that doesn't really get to it either. What the word is in Greek there is koinonia. Yeah. And, and it's a, a word that, that is famous yeah. for describing the early Christian community. It's a word that describes a, a community of people with a special relationship, a koinonia of people. A community that says, I'm going to take care of your needs and I trust that you're going to take care of mine. It's a, a, an idea of complete devotion to one another. And so it's, I pray that your koinonia in the faith may be effective. And so partnership, for me, falls way short of that idea. And what Paul is, is saying is remarkable. It's incredible. It's scandalous in the world that he's saying it in. He's going to open this idea that Philemon, who koinonias the church so well in his home, and he loves them so deeply. And he refreshes the hearts of all the believers. And here comes Onesimus. And Paul's going to suggest that this runaway thieving slave needs to be welcomed into Philemon's koinonia. Into his, his us. His innermost circle of people that he cares for and who cares for him. The sharing of the faith for Philemon is not just an evangelistic message. The partnership is not just doing the work of evangelism. For Philemon, he has become so characterized by the life of community faith that Paul is saying, I'm so thankful that God has made you this person doing these things in this house where you welcome the church all the time. And he's setting the stage for the request to come. But the thing that you need to know is that when Paul prays about something at the beginning of his letter, he's telling you what he cares about the most. He's telling you what's in his heart. He's telling you what's on his mind. And, and so what he's doing here is introducing this idea of, of Philemon's love for the holy people and this incredible koinonia community that he's got that's in Colossae. And he's setting that up as the invitation for where Onesimus can become who God wants him to be. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. I love this line from Paul. Paul says, there's a couple of little things in the letter where, where Paul is really using an appeal, and there's a couple of times he's got a few real zingers. Uh, this is one of those for me, where Paul says, hey, listen, I could just pull rank on you in the kingdom of God and say, you've got to do this, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. I'm going to appeal to you that all the growth and the maturity that you have in Christ Jesus will lead you to do what I think you ought to do, but I'm going to let you do it of your free will, not of my instruction. Here's what I think you ought to do. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. And again, 
who I birthed while in bondage. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. We lose some of the pun that Paul's playing with here. Um, Onesimus's name, if translated, means useful. He's a useful servant. And yet, you can imagine how many times Philemon, in the years since Onesimus has betrayed him and run away and taken some of his, his property and possessions with him, how many times Philemon would have gone, huh, useful. That's the most useless servant I've ever known. And Paul says, yeah, the one whose name means useful was once useless to you, but is now useful to us both. That in Christ he is redeemed and his name and his purpose is restored. And so I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Again, Paul invites Philemon to respond to invitation and not to instruction. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. There's another one of Paul's little digs, right? Your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He says, listen, I could tell you to do this, and that would be enough, and you should do it because I told you to, but I'm going to invite you to make the right choice. He says, I'm going to invite you, when Onesimus comes back to you, to first of all, forgive him. Full forgiveness. Don't beat him. Don't imprison him. Don't execute him. Forgive him. And, and you can hear the question that Paul is anticipating. Forgive him? Is he going to pay me back? And Paul says, I tell you what, whatever debt he owes you, and Paul doesn't seem to know how much it is, whatever debt he owes you, you tally it up, and you send me the bill, and I'll pay it. I'll pay the bill so that you can not only forgive him, but his debts are paid And then Paul says, I mean, you owe me your very life, so factor that into my bill and then send it over. Just remember that that by giving you Jesus Christ, I've saved your life, but if you want to collect debts on someone else, that's fine. Send me the bill. You think Paul got a bill? No. I don't think Paul got a bill. Because I think what Paul was doing was reminding Onesimus that in Jesus Christ, his debts were paid to such a degree that he would never have debts again. His life was paid for. And if that's true, how can you hold someone else's debt against them when they tried to escape and take advantage of you and betray you? You can't. 
And Paul reminds Philemon of that. And he says, listen, here's the thing. I don't just want you to forgive him. I don't just want you to settle his debts. I want you to welcome him back into his household, give him his rollback, give him his responsibilities. I want you to, to reincorporate him into your family in the way that he was. Fully restore him like, like he'd never betrayed you or abandoned you. Get him back in. But here's the thing. This part's going to be a little bit different. I don't want you to treat him as a slave anymore. I want you to treat him as a brother. I want you to treat him as one who has uh, the same father. And Paul's suggesting that this is out of their relationship with him, but there is this, this implied statement that they are children of God the Father. And he says, listen, you're going to have to relate to him differently now if you're both in Jesus Christ. And this is revolutionary. This is the kind of thing that changes systems and that turns worlds upside down. It's the kind of thing that if people really embrace this, says, hey, the world says you and I are different, but if we're in Christ, we're brothers and sisters now. The world says I should hold a grudge against you, but if we're both in Christ, we're brothers and sisters now. I've got to forgive you because Jesus paid my debts. I've got to forgive yours. That there's this total reorientation of relationship and community and koinonia that we share with one another if we're both in Christ. And then in verse 21, he says this, this incredible thing. He says, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. What do you mean by that, Paul? He doesn't say here, and this is the part where he really goes from not even giving instruction to not even giving intention, but saying to Philemon, hey, I think you can come up with something even better than I've suggested already. I think you can come up with an end to this letter that's even better than I'm going to tell you to do so that it will be clear that it's your idea and not me influencing you to do it. He's already told Philemon, invited Philemon to forgive him. He's already told him to, to cancel all the debts. He's already told him to welcome him and treat him as a brother in his household and not a slave. The only thing in my mind that is even more than these things is to actually give Onesimus his freedom. Is to set him free and then allow him to be in the household with a role and responsibilities, but not as a slave, as a brother. That the relationship has completely transformed. Now it's up to Philemon. But Paul says, Philemon, I think that you'll do even more than I've even asked. I can't wait to hear what you're going to do. And then he says, by the way, prepare a guest room for me because I'm in jail now, but you're praying for me to get out. I'll probably be there sooner than you're expecting because God's going to answer those prayers. And then he finishes with uh, some encouragements and some other greetings and other things. But but there's this idea in Philemon that if you're in Christ, your relationship with those who are also in Christ is completely different than it was before. And that we have responsibilities to one another. And that, that if I really understand that you are my brother and sister in Christ, that we become part of this koinonia group of people that is committed to one another and devoted to one another, that is forgiving of one another, that is canceling the debts of one another, that when relationships get broken, we do the work of sorting them out. 
We get people like Paul, who sometimes smooth the path for relationships to get worked out as intermediaries, that all of these things are suggested in this 385-word letter. And there's echoes in this letter of the prodigal son, of one who has betrayed the leader of the household and who has gone away and squandered things, and there's betrayal and there's hurt and there's injury. And Paul says, hey, Onesimus, I don't know if you've heard this story of the prodigal son, but you've got to go back. And I believe Philemon will do like the father does because of what the son has taught him. And I believe that he will welcome you back into his home. Except the prodigal son is a story that teaches a lesson Onesimus is actually going to live out the reality of being the terrified son walking up to the father thinking if he wants to throw me in jail, beat me or kill me, he's got every right to do it. I sure hope he's like God. And there's echoes of the Good Samaritan when Paul writes in his letter, whatever is owed, I will pay the debt for them. Just send me the bill. I don't care what it is. I'll pay the debt for them. Radical covering of debts in the Good Samaritan. And there's echoes of that in this letter to Philemon. Except that this time it's not a story about a Samaritan helping someone on the side of the road. This time it's real life stuff. It's a real life example of what it looks like for one Christian to say to another, I don't care what their debts are, I'll pay it, I'll cover it, my card's good in their name. Send me the bill. And what's incredible about this book is it's the only letter Paul writes in all of the New Testament that doesn't talk about the cross, it doesn't talk about salvation, it doesn't talk about repentance and forgiveness of sins, it doesn't talk about any of the gospel message that Paul is so constantly proclaiming everywhere he can to anyone who will listen. Because this letter isn't about what the cross did, it's about how if you're going to be a child of the one who died on the cross then you have to become someone who reenacts that getting on the cross to forgive others. It means that if you're going to be a follower and disciple of Jesus, you have to reenact canceling other people's debts to you and welcoming them back into your home. It means if you're going to be one of these people who are, are, are Christians in the early church and Christians today, it means that you have to be the kind of people who restore koinonia relationships even when it's terrifying and costly. So you may be sitting here today feeling like Onesimus, knowing you've hurt someone in the past and you're scared to go apologize because it's going to be hard and painful to come face to face with that broken relationship. But I think Paul would still send you. You may be like Philemon, who has someone who's hurt you in the past, and you just know if you catch sight of them, you're going to beat them, throw them in jail, or kill them. But it's gonna, they're going to pay the price for what they did to you. And even if you're not a violent person, it may be that your plan is to just uh, hold a grudge against them that breaks that relationship and keeps you from having to be exposed and vulnerable to that kind of a thing again. Paul's got a letter for you. And Paul might suggest that Jesus gave his life to pay for your debts. Maybe you could forgive someone else's. And maybe you're someone that needs a Paul or that is a Paul, that needs an intermediary to smooth the path towards a, an easier reconciliation. And our Koinonia family needs to have people that do that work too. 
that sit with other people in the midst of conflict and help them to find their way through that in the name of the one who saves us all, our Lord Jesus Christ. God has called us to heal through the hurt. God has called us to be healers of past hurts. We are given the challenge today by the book of Philemon to let temporary hurts and conflicts and divisions pass away. They're temporary. And we're called to be people who start to view each other in an eternal way. Because here's the thing, if there's a brother or sister in Christ that you've got beef with, that you've got a conflict with, that you have struggled to get along with for whatever reason, I've got what might feel like bad news for you. You're going to get along for a billion years. Maybe start now. Because on the one billionth year of you guys getting along in eternity, you're sure going to feel stupid about the five years you were mad at each other on earth. All right. I don't have a transition to an invitation, so here it is. If you need to respond <laughs> to the gospel message that we have a Savior that died on the cross so that we could become forgivers and cancelers of debts and a koinonia of people, come forward this morning as we stand and sing.